Ladies and gentlemen, please tone it down a bit. There's an announcement I like to read. Now, wait. How am I supposed to pronounce? It? Tiffany talks. This is Tiffany talks with Tiffany Linnell. What's up, family, and welcome to another family conversation here at Tiffany Talks. Thank you so much for joining me. I've got so much to talk about today, y'all, and I'm going to be honest. It's a couple of things that I'm about to go off about because it just be the caucasity of... not. I can't even say caucasity. The audacity, because I want to include every person It'd be the audacity of the U.S. government and some of the decisions that they try to make, among other people. So we got a lot to talk about today, y'all. Before I get started, though, I must, must, must give a huge just honor and shout out to uh, Bismarcky. May he rest in peace who died uh, last week from complications from diabetes. Uh, he had been going through uh, some complications for the last year. And I, I just, it, it still was taking, taking some time. Like 57 years old is far too young. Not only did he pass away, but the mother of uh, Keisha Cole also passed away, Frankie and on her birthday, n- nonetheless, like how terrible is that, um, that she passed away yesterday on her birthday. Um, she was only 61, like 57 and 61. May they both truly rest in peace because uh, that, that is absolutely terrible. Um, prayers and thoughts to uh, the wife and family of Biz Markey and to Keisha Cole and her family. I I can only imagine my heart goes out to, um, to both of, of the families. Um, you all know I also like to start each show with a bit of history. So uh, over the weekend, it was a couple of things. So I got to go over a couple of things, y'all. Over the weekend on the 17th, it was the anniversary of Congress allowing the enlistment of Blacks in the Union Army, not just Blacks, but uh, former slaves. So, of course, this happened in July 17th, 1862, before 1865, when slaves were technically, not technically, when slaves were freed in this country. So essentially, uh, slaves who um, uh, were former slaves signed up, they were able to be, my words, (laughs) they were able to enlist in the Union Army to basically fight in this civil war uh, for freedom that these uh, soldiers already had. I read an interesting fact that um, some of the units, the uh, previous job or title or whatever that was given to some of the former slaves were farmers. And there's a couple of articles and readings or whatever that said, oh, this was done to give them more dignity so that they were listed as farmers and not as slaves. But aside from dignity, even if that was the quote unquote reason, it also takes away from the fact of one, what they were fighting for to begin with, and two, what they had to endure to even make it, to even be able to make it to the day where they were able to enlist in the Union Army in order to fight in this war. Again, that was for the freedom of the enslaved in this country. Uh, it is said that some 186,000 served, and of those, 38,000 died, but of course, numbers are, you know, from back then, their numbers. Um, So July 17th. Now, also uh, recently is the anniversary of the Black Power Conference. Uh, Amiri Baraka, who was born Everett Leroy Jones, was part of the planning for this Black Power Conference that was chaired by Dr. Nathan Wright. 
1967. It came right at the heels of the Newark Rebellion, which is a whole other story. But essentially, the New York Rebellion had Newark in flames for five days. So with his head bloody, he was fresh out of jail, fresh from the hospital. He had been beaten by a Newark police officer. Uh, They were calling a a lot of the power... Folks that were in power at the time were saying to call off the conference. They said, absolutely not. We're going ahead with it. It was a three-day event at an Episcopal church in downtown Newark. Uh, It happened from July 20th to July 23rd in 1967. Uh, There were representatives from the NAACP, the Urban League, um, the Organization for Afro-American Unity. Uh, So it was a lot of who's who in the civil rights movement at the time, H. Rap Brown, who was the, uh, at the time, the new chairman of SNCC, um, representatives from CORE were there. So it was a big deal. Uh, they went ahead with the conference and it, it ended up being just what they needed. Um, so Baraka led the way for some of the speaking that occurred. And literally he was fresh out the hospital bandage on head. Um, so a lot of black history, if you want to know more information, of course, always, always, always look it up, Google it, Google is your best friend, uh, look at the black power conference. There's an excellent book. Um, well, I won't do my book recommendations, but always just be listening to the show. Cause I like to give book and podcast recommendations and stuff of things where you can learn about, uh, some of these different events and things in history. But, I want to make sure that I said that because of some of the things that we're going to talk about during our family conversation later on in the show. Uh, You don't want to miss that. I've also got a guest coming who's going to tell us a little bit more about what is going on in Cuba and with Cuban-American relations and uh, why Cuban-Americans are uh, coming to or traveling to Washington, D.C. in order to protest. So I have that. I have some updates on Biden administration. I have some information on stuff Texas Republicans are trying to get through in the House. Uh, and I have just a lot of stuff. So make sure you stay tuned and I'll be right back. All right, so let's continue our family conversation. There's one day that I forgot to mention. Uh, July 18th was also International Nelson Mandela Day. It is a day to commemorate the memory of uh, Nelson Mandela for the last 12 years. This day has been celebrated, that day, July 18th, has been celebrated um, to honor the the leader and the legacy that was Nelson Mandela. Uh, His commitment to just decency and justice is unmatched. Uh, So I honor you, Nelson Mandela. Uh, Also, Saturday was the anniversary of the passing of John Lewis, my former representative. May he rest in peace and and truly rest in paradise. Um, But I I mentioned that, one, to honor him. Two, I want to talk about the John Lewis Voting Rights uh, Act. There's two acts that everybody's had their eyes on. I'm going to give you a very, very brief summary about them uh, because uh, President Biden did a speech last week um, in order to talk about voting rights. So I'm going to play that clip and then I'll tell you a little bit about the acts. So here's President Biden. Even debating, even considering for the people that Senate Democrats stood united to protect our democracy and the sanctity of the vote. We must pass the For the People Act. It's a national imperative. We must also fight for the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act to restore and expand. (laughs) Restore and expand voting protections, prevent voter suppression. All the Congresswomen and men here, there's a bunch of you. You knew John, many of you. Just weeks ago, Supreme Court, yet again, weakened the Voting Rights Act and upheld what Justice Kagan called, quote, a significant race-based disparity in voting opportunities. 
court's decision, as harmful as is, does not limit the Congress's ability to repair the damage done. That's the important point. Puts the burden back on Congress to restore the Voting Rights Act to its intended strength. As soon as Congress passes the For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, I will sign it and let the whole world see it. That will be an important moment. And the world is wondering. The world is wondering. And Dwight knows what I'm talking about, for real. You know, the world is wondering, what is America going to do? We also have to be clear-eyed about the obstruction we face. Legislation is one tool, but not the only tool. And it's not the only measure of our obligation to defend democracy today. For example, Attorney General Merrick Garland announced that the United States Department of Justice is going to be using its authorities to challenge the onslaught of state laws undermining voting rights in old and new ways. The focus will be on dismantling racially discriminatory laws, like the recent challenge to Georgia's vicious anti-voting law. The Department of Justice will do so with a voting rights division that my request is doubling its size and enforcement staff. Civil rights groups. Civil rights groups and other organizations have announced their plans to stay vigilant and challenge these odious laws in the courts. In Texas, for example, Republican-led state legislature wants to allow partisan poll watchers to intimidate voters and imperil and, and impartial uh, poll workers. They want voters to dive further and be able to be in a position where they wonder who's watching them and intimidating them. To wait longer to vote. To drive a hell of a lot long, excuse me, a long way to get to vote. They want to make it so hard and inconvenient that they hope people don't vote at all. That's what this is about. This year alone, 17 states have enacted not just proposed, but enacted 28 new laws to make it harder for Americans to vote. Not to mention, and catch this, nearly 400 additional bills Republican members of the state legislatures are trying to pass. The 21st century Jim Crow assault is real. It's unrelenting. And we're going to challenge it vigorously. While... While this broad assault against voting rights is not unprecedented, it's taking on a new and literally pernicious forms. It's no longer just about who gets to vote or making it easier for eligible voters to vote. It's about who gets to count the vote. Who gets to count whether or not your vote counted at all. It's about moving from independent election administrators to work for the people to polarize state legislatures and partisan actors who work for political parties. To me, this is simple. This is election subversion. It's the most dangerous threat to voting in the integrity of free and fair elections in our history. Never before have they decided who gets to count. Count. What votes count. Some, some state legislators want to make it harder for you to vote. And if you vote, they want to be able to tell you your vote doesn't count for any reason they make up. They want the ability to reject the final count and ignore the will of the people if their preferred candidate loses. And they're trying, not only targeting people of color, they're targeting voters of all races and backgrounds. Just with a simple target. Who did not vote for them? That's the target. It's unconscionable. I mean, really, I, it's hard to it's, it's hard to declare just how critical this is. Now, I don't disagree with that. It's 
extremely critical uh, that we pass these these bills. So HR1 is the For the People Act. Now, the For the People Act is just that. It's supposed to be for the people. It addresses voter access, election integrity, campaign financing, election security, political spending, and ethics for the three branches of government. It would also establish uh, independent, nonpartisan redistricting commissions. We'll see, we'll see about that. Um, and it tackles like I said, election security, campaign spending, uh, ban on foreign nationals contributing to or spending on elections, federal matching of small contributions for qualified candidates. Um, and it would also, they're, they're sliding this in, it would also require candidates for president and vice president to submit 10 years of tax returns. Now, there are three divisions that are involved in this act, voting, campaign finance, and ethics. I, I will, you know, I'll spare you going through the pages and pages and pages of legal jargon and all of that, but just know, Within it, it talks about uh, internet registration, automatic voter registration, same day voter registration, uh, availability of different uh, requirements and payments, uh, prohibiting interference with voter registration, efficiency, registration of minors, different things. So it really hits quite a bit. It also is intended to limit and, and restrict the removing of voter registrations from voter rolls. Uh, as you may know or may not know, that has been a huge, huge issue in multiple states where they are purging the rolls before election times and not giving enough opportunity and time for people to correct the quote unquote mistakes that they're finding. And the mistakes could be as simple as, oh, the signature isn't exactly right. This I doesn't have a dot on it and this one does. Or it could be your address isn't an exact match. This one says Northwest and this one doesn't say that. It, it was literally them finding every little thing that they could to try and purge the rolls. Uh, so that happened quite a bit here in Georgia, but it happened in other states as well. The For the People Act, aka HR1, was introduced January 3rd, 2019. It passed the House January, I mean, I'm sorry, it passed the House March 8th, 2019. Now, it stuck. So you hear a lot about, you know, protests and, and everything else about what's going on uh, within that statement. You hear President Biden talking about how once they go through, he's going to sign them. Like he's already made a decision he's going to sign this one and the John Lewis Voting Rights Bill. So now the John Lewis Voting Rights uh, Act was actually renamed uh, from the it was renamed after Majority Whip James Clyburn uh, put forth legislation to change the name of HR4 uh, one week after John Lewis passed. So HR4 is called the Voting Rights Advancement Act of 2019. It was introduced uh, February 26, 2019. It was sent to the House. Uh, November 29th, 2019. It passed the House December 6, 2019. Uh, so quite a process. Uh, now, what does all of this mean? The John Lewis Voting Rights Act essentially would restore and expand and strengthen a key piece of the Voting Rights Amendment of 1965 that was struck down in a court case in 2013. For those who know me know I have been saying for years they are taking away our voting rights one right at a time, one pin stroke at a time, one piece of legislation or decision at a time. They've been stripping voting rights. That 2013 decision was one of them. So essentially, uh, in a case, Shelby County versus Holder, I believe it was the name of the case, uh, went before the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court essentially made the piece where there's exact restrictions on uh, removing or changing voting laws, voting registration, things like that in the states, it essentially invalidated one of those pieces um, by 
it just invalidated one of those pieces. I'll save you the legal jargon. So that is why over the last few years, over the last seven, eight years, you've seen different states passing different laws, changing rules very quickly. It's because that federal oversight was essentially invalidated in 2013. So that was a huge, huge moment and a really big issue. So now where are we? Stuck. As far as this legislation is concerned, we're stuck. The Senate, Senate Republicans specifically, refused to pass it. There was a vote last month. It went down the party lines 50 to 50. There is a 60 vote threshold that a bill must meet in order to pass. It did not meet that threshold. And of course, on the GOP side, they're saying this is a power grab by the Democrats. And this was, you know, done before all of the voting restrictions even came into play in states. That's not true because they've been doing this for the, like I said, when the Supreme Court invalidated that that uh, piece in the 1965 Voting Rights Act Amendment, they struck it down and states have been doing this for a couple of years now. So that's not true. Now, I, there are a couple of options to go ahead. However, the pivot is that because we may not get this federal oversight uh, before our next set of elections, um, advocates and activists are, and even different politicians, are refocusing, not that we're letting this go, because we're not, that fight is not over. It's ju it just, is stuck right now. Um, now the the plan is communication, communication, communication. The next few elections, they are going to do everything in their power to change the rules, purge the rules. Um, you saw here in Georgia, you can't pass out water. Let me tell y'all something. I'm gonna be passing out water. I'm gonna pass out whatever the hell I wanna pass out. So that's that on that can't pass out snacks, which they tried to do last year when we were uh, doing poll protection and election work. Uh, we were passing out snacks and water and things like that. Uh, I went to two polling uh, locations where they tried to send officers to say, you can't pass out snacks here, blah, blah, blah. And the argument is that, you know, you're essentially bribing people to vote for a certain person. No, we're passing out snacks because they are six, six, five, six, seven, eight hour lines and it's Georgia and it's hot and people get hungry. So we are going to focus on communication, communication, education, education, and everything else that we can do to go around these restrictive Jim Crow era laws that are being passed across the different states. So that's the update on that. Uh, I still have to talk about the infrastructure deal. That vote is going to be tomorrow. So I'll tell you a little bit more about that and what we can expect from that. I'll be right back. Welcome back to Tiffany Talks. So in the last segment, I talked about the infrastructure deal that the Biden administration is trying to get through. You've probably seen it in the news. It is like, you know, yeah, it's, it's, he's been trying to do this for a minute. So I'm here to summarize what exactly is in the infrastructure deal. Uh, so essentially he's trying to, he being of course, President Biden is trying to, um, improve our economy and our infrastructure here in the United States, which y'all it's, I'm not gonna lie, it's pretty bad. Um, we got a lot of work, a lot of work to do. Uh, it recently lost an IRS provision that would strengthen IRS enforcement to crack down on uh, tax, you know, things, tax evasion, tax laws, all of that other stuff. Uh, but it is nearly a $1 trillion trillion, that's with a T as in Tom, $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure deal. Can you imagine $1 trillion? Anyway, the plan is to reimagine and rebuild a new economy. It's called the American Jobs Plan, and it's supposed to invest and create millions of jobs, rebuild the infrastructure, and get this, essentially try to help the U.S. Com compete with 
China. Uh, we are the wealthiest country, but we are 13th when it comes to overall quality of our infrastructure, bridges, roads, the potholes that almost took the tire out last week. Yeah, that the water systems are garbage, as we all know. Does Flint have clean water yet? Right, okay. The electric grid is uh, vulnerable to horrific outages. Um, and let's not even discuss the disparities in high-speed internet and quality housing that we've been talking about that the pandemic only exacerbated and really brought to the forefront of everybody's eyes. But there still isn't enough work being done for that. Anywho, um, according to Biden, it is important for us to strengthen our infrastructure and competitiveness and create good paying union jobs for the future. The main focuses are climate crisis and the ambitions of China, prioritizing and addressing longstanding and persistent racial injustice. And it's targeting 40% of the benefits of climate and clean infrastructure investments to disadvantage it disadvantaged communities that have been impacted by the market-based transaction to clean energy. He is also proposing to fix the corporate tax code so that um, the incentives for job creation and investment remain here in the U.S. And it stops uh, or it's supposed to prevent, try to prevent uh, any unfair uh, profit sharing to tax giants um, and make sure that large corporations are paying their fair share. He wants to set the corporate tax rate at 28%, discourage offshoring in the race uh, to um, uh, the being bottom of the barrel, basically. Uh, prevent US corporations from inverting or claiming tax havens as their residents, Trump. Uh, deny companies expense deductions for offshoring jobs and credit expensing, you know, what they what a lot of corporate America companies have been doing um, and basically selling jobs to overseas employees uh, enact a minimum tax on large corporations income and ramp up enforcement against co uh, corporation. He wants to fix highways, rebuild bridges, upgrade ports, airports, transit systems. Come, come, come to Atlanta. We've been trying to. Never mind. Anyway, deliver clean drinking water, a renewed electric grid, high-speed broadband to all Americans, y'all. There are districts that have extremely high numbers of students that just did not attend school during the pandemic because they either didn't have internet, they or they didn't have a computer, or they didn't have either one of those. It is a real problem, especially in rural America, but you don't even have to go to rural America in order to experience this. I lived in inner city Atlanta for a period of time and could only get like three gigs, three megs down. I was like, so you want me to send an email and barely? Um, so it, it's a huge, huge problem here. Now, on the flip side, <laughs> they are also trying to pass a carbon border tax. So before I get to that, cause I'm about to go off on that. The infrastructure deal is set to uh, go for a vote tomorrow on Wednesday, but they're already signaling that there may be some issues, you know, the infighting that's been going on. There's, we'll see what happens tomorrow, but they've been trying to get this through for a while and they keep going back, making amendments and revisions. So we'll see what happens with that. Now, let's talk about this carbon border tax. <laughs> y'all, so y'all are familiar, those who have listened to the show before, you are familiar with uh, my best friend, Erica, who is an eco-womanist, and she comes on and talks about uh, all things eco-womanist, among a plethora of other things, because she's dope and she's smart. So. I had to, to message her and say, am I reading this correctly? Because I wanna make sure that I'm reading this for the, the, the trash that it actually is. So Democrats are proposing a carbon border tax, which would essentially impose a tax on imports from China and any other country that's not significantly reducing their planet warming pollution. <laughs> Y'all, let me not laugh yet. Um, it's supposed to raise as much as $16 billion annually. Uh, experts are saying it would almost certainly provoke America's trading partners and create 
extreme diplomatic challenges ahead of the United Nations climate negotiations that are set for this coming November. Now, keep in mind, when Biden got into office, he signed, he got us back into the Paris Accord, which is the agreement among a plethora of nations to basically say that we will reduce our carbon emissions and, and pollution uh, by the year 2030. All the different countries had different ways of doing it. This is allegedly one of the ways that the U.S. wants to do it. It's supposed to be attached to a $3.5 trillion budget resolution, which is another resolution the Biden administration is trying to get in. Now, here is here's my issue with this tax. One, it's only on our trading partners, which again, as I mentioned before, could have serious impacts on our diplomatic uh, relationships. We're just now trying to recover from the damage that 45 did while his administration was in office. We cannot afford any more diplomatic issues. We just can't. That's number one. Number two, it, it creates protections for companies here in the United States that then don't have to essentially, in my opinion, from, from reading and from discussing with my local expert, Erica, it creates protections for companies here that then don't promote the whole reduction of carbon emissions and and and, and the, the ultimate goal. It gives them protections from being penalized for what they are contributing to climate change, to pollution, to carbon emissions. Like, really? This is the audacity America really got some nerve. Like the United States really has got some nerve. We are one of the biggest contributors to emissions and to pollution. And y'all want to impose taxes on our trading partners and not do enough to actually handle the companies that are here on United States soil. How does this make sense to you? Not only that, this is a band-aid compared to what we actually need to be doing. And I know this is just a part of it, but I just don't think that this tax is it. it while it could have some benefits and it could raise, you know, like I said, as much as $16 billion, what are the impacts to our, uh, our uh, di diplomatic relationships? And what are the, going to be the impacts to the end user consumer? Because the type of the tax will go on things like iron, steel, crude oil, natural gas. So what what are I'm sorry, iron, steel and aluminum are are the top three things that would be taxed. So what what is what are you doing to actually impose these regulations or impose some regulations on U.S. businesses because it looks like it gives more protections than it does regulations. So problem number one, what is that going to do to our relationships and what does that do to the end user, the, the bottom, bottom dollar price and impact to the end user, us. So go, go, I, go back to the drawing board is, is all I got to say. Um, I've got more show coming up for you. You don't want to miss it. I'll be right back. We're taking a quick break. More Tiffany Talks after these messages. Welcome back to Tiffany Talks. Uh, so if you missed it, in case you missed it, last week, Reverend Al Sharpton and Ben Crump agreed to represent the family of a white teen who was shot, uh, by, shot and killed by the police. 17-year-old Hunter Britton was shot and killed by Lanoke County Sheriff Sergeant Michael Davis during a traffic stop. Traffic stop. Uh, the officer has been an officer since 2013. He, per usual, was placed on administrative leave and days later was then fired for failing to turn on his body camera before the shooting. Not fired because he killed a teen. Fired because he didn't turn his body camera on before the shooting. I just wanted to make that clear. Uh, now, Ben Crump, of course, is the civil rights attorney who has represented the families of Trayvon Martin, George Floyd, Michael Brown, Breonna Taylor, and many more. Y'all know who Reverend Al Sharpton is. So they are hoping that by taking on this case that it'll increase awareness, not awareness, that it'll increase support for the Policing Act. Let me tell y'all something. 
one, I don't have an issue with them. You know, I'm, I'm sure there are people who are like, well, why are they representing the family of a white teen? It's supposed to be civil rights because it's civil rights. And because yes, the unarmed murders of black men, women, and children in this country are a freaking problem. And y'all know I didn't want to use that word, but I'm trying to be good. God is working on me. It is a problem in this country, period. Hands down. Y'all been killing us for centuries. That's, I'm not changing my mind on that. I will say, however, we have an overall policing problem in this country that has to be addressed. It just does. So yes, while killing us has been going on for centuries and that needs to stop because Black Lives Matter and that's the bare minimum, period. We have a policing problem that we need to address. We need ethics. We need different teaching, uh, training uh, protocols and procedures for policing in this country. Again, did y'all hear me say he was fired because he didn't turn his body camera on? Not because he murdered a teenager during a traffic stop. This is a problem. So, you know, we'll see how that case ends up. Um, In other news, y'all, the first felony conviction has been handed down uh, for the Capitol riot. A Florida man received eight months uh, he was 38. He was arrested February 16th after the FBI received a tip uh, on who he was and where he was. The U.S. District Court Judge Randolph Moss said, although you were only a member, one member of a larger mob, you actively participated in a larger event that threatened the Capitol and democracy itself. The damage that was caused was way that the damage that was caused that the way that blah, 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 The damage that was caused, the way it was caused, was beyond a several hour delay of the vote certification. It is a damage that will persist in the country for several decades. Not only that, y'all are garbage, okay? And that's just that on that. Like, I I don't know that eight months is enough. I'm gonna take it because we don't really have a choice. I just don't know that that's enough. But that's the first felony sentence that's been handed down. Uh, I got more show coming up for you. You don't want to miss it. I'll be right back. Greetings and welcome back to Tiffany Talks. If you've missed any of this show, be sure to check out the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Uh, This piece of the show, you can actually also watch. It'll be available on Facebook. Um, The evening, in the (laughs) evening, this evening, I don't know why I can't talk today. It'll be available on Facebook this evening, so be sure you check this out. I have an amazing guest and contributor uh, to the Unmuted family, the Boss FM family. Um, This is Ashley Gonzalez who is a BNA uh, correspondent and a Tiffany Talks contributor. Hey, Ashley, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you so much, number one, for coming and um, talking with me today. I just knew I had to get someone who could speak to uh, what we're going to talk about much better than I could. Um, So I wanted to have you on to talk about what's going on in Cuba and Cuba-U.S. relations. It's been an interesting situation, not just now, but uh, for the last few decades. Um, So can you tell us a little bit more about the situation that's going on? Okay, so last Sunday, um, people across every single municipality in Cuba decided that enough was enough, and they started rebelling against the communist government. Um, This is a long time coming. It's been building up for years, but right now the biggest issues is that um, COVID-19 cases are going up significantly. Last week, in one day, there was 47 deaths and 7,000 cases over overall the country. Um, and they don't have vaccines because the government chose not to join the WHO's COVAX agency. They say they're doing experiments to create their own vaccine, but there's been not much progress on that. Um, the hospitals are poorly conducted um there's only certain hospitals that you can go to and even there they don't have enough equipment they have you know unsanitized equipment because they just don't 
contribute to getting them more supplies. There's not enough medication. Um, the economy, because of the pandemic, nobody can come in and out of Cuba. Um, the economy declined by 11%, and that's the worst it's been since the Soviet Union fell. Um, people are living off basically like $25 a week. And there's no opportunity to move forward unless, you know, you're a supporter of the government or, you know, you have ties with the government. And even then, it's barely enough. Um, there's a lot of food shortages. Um, they can't bring food in. They can't get food out. Um, people go days without eating. And on top of that, they only give you a certain amount that you can buy for a certain amount of time. So let's say a week or let's say a month, you can only get like 40 grams of beans, 40 grams of rice. And that's just the basics. If you want to go get meat or something like that, you end up having to go into the black market, which is illegal. Um, there's a lot of censorship too. You can't post anything against the government on Facebook, on Twitter. Um, you have to stay quiet on your opinion. If not, you're either going to get executed or you're going to get jailed. Um, there's power outages for hours at a time. And the president, which is Miguel Diaz-Canel, hasn't done anything. He doesn't, it's just like, he doesn't want to see his people prosper. Um, so usually people will stay quiet. They will just deal with it. But they said enough is enough. We're not tired anymore. We're like, we're not scared anymore. We're just going to go. We're going to fight you until you guys give us what we want, which is freedom. Um, there was a quote I saw that they said, the people in Cuba are so hungry that we ate our fears. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. So wow. they're just going to keep going until they get actual change in their country. Um, the Cuban president has tried to calm it down. He did go on public television the day it started, which was last Sunday, and he said, I want anyone who supports the government, which are the revolucionarios or the revolutionaries, um, the military, especially the Black Berets, which are the special operations, and the police to fight these protesters. So it's just been chaos in the streets. There's been people raiding houses. If you even speak out against the government, um, or if they find out that you were protesting, they go, they, they raid your house, they beat you to keep you silenced. And they've been kidnapping young boys, ages 16 and up, to join the military. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. You said 16 and up to join the military? Yep. They've been raiding taking their kids. Um, they don't show this on social media because they did cut off the internet and now they brought it back in, but barely. Um, but I did see that they were using VPNs and I saw that they were actually murdering people. They murdered oh an innocent, they murdered a newborn, they murdered a 13 year old to death. And there's been more deaths that have been reported, but we just don't know about it. Um, the last time something like this happened was in 1994. It was the Maleponazo. So people took to Havana, which is the capital. And they basically protested for Castro, which was Fidel Castro, which was the person who took over Cuba. Mm -hmm. um, was the president at the time to let them go free but that wasn't at a larger scale this only happened in the malecon area of Havana. so this okay. is pretty much like the biggest revolt they've seen in 62 years wow so you mentioned this is the biggest one they've seen in 62 years but the Cuban infrastructure is not, I mean, it hasn't been what it could be for the Cuban people in, in a while, right? I mean, now I'm not an expert in the least. I've only been to Cuba once, but I remember when I was there, um, The you mentioned Wi-Fi being barely there. It's not necessarily excellent Wi-Fi infrastructure anyway. Um, so I can only imagine what it is right now. Uh, and what 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 has happened? Like, what's the context of leading up to this? You gave a bit about Fidel Castro and everything else, but what what's the context of like what's going on between U.S. government and and Cuban relations? Because now it's it's hit us, and the Biden administration is getting a lot of backlash. Um, but a lot of people in America here don't know what's going on. So. What, what's going on with the U.S. And, and Cuba relations? Okay, so basically in 1959, there was um, 
more freedom. There was a democracy in Cuba. The president was um, Fulgencio Batista. He did have a better relationship with America. Um, there were a lot of casinos. It was just a prosperous country and it was a lot of tourism. Very happy, but some people did not like that. Um, Fidel Castro, he actually did come to Miami and he did have an education here. He went back and he basically started a whole revolution. He was saying that he wanted everyone to prosper and that, and he took over. He um, basically did this whole revolution, obviously, and he said, no, this isn't a communism. Um, this is going to be a good democracy. Don't worry, we're not going to censor anyone. But as soon as he went in, he took everything out. Um, and he just wasn't letting anyone be free. Um, my cousin, actually, his grandfather, he he had a farm. He had pros like he had money. He was well off. They took away his farm, and then because he spoke out against the government, Raúl Castro, which is Fidel Castro's brother, came and executed him, like right. In front oh my of him. god! Yes, and that's terrible. They closed off um, everyone from leaving. Um, and then they started talking about how America was the enemy. Um, they did not let anyone leave for a really long time. My And my grandfather, actually, he did try to escape Cuba via boat when my uncle, my oldest uncle was born and my grandmother was pregnant with my other uncle. My mom wasn't born yet. Um, but they found them, they arrested them with my pregnant grandmother and they put him in jail. My, they let my grandmother go because she had a daughter. She had a kid and she was pregnant. Right. But my, uh, my grandfather was in jail for two years and he saw people being publicly executed. Um, he would say that people would come be like, I want my son, my husband, my, you know, my brother, whatever. And they go, okay, what, what's his name? Let's say um, Jose Perez. Um, they would say, okay, don't worry. We're going to get him for you. But they wouldn't. They would just kill him on spot. Oh my God. For speaking out against the government and for trying, you know, to incite change. Um, and the United States, obviously this is Cold War era, they're trying to fight communism. Um, they tried their best, but every time that a president came in and said, I'm going to fix Cuba, it was either poorly done or it just made the issue worse. The right. biggest one that has traumatized my people the most is the Bay of Pigs. Um, hmm. President Kennedy said, you know what, I'm going to get all you, like, get exiles and I'm going to go over there, I'm going to overthrow Castro. But he gets there, he didn't listen to his administration. They were telling him to do one thing. He said, no, I'm going to stick to my plan. He sent Cuban exiles over there to try and overthrow the government. Um, but since Cuba's such a tiny island, uh -huh. um, the United Nations found out they made it seem like America was, you know, just going in and starting a war. Right. Um, so he, President Kennedy kind of thought more about his own self-interest and like, how is this going to look on my legacy? So instead right. of, you know, thinking I'm going to fix this, he said, I can't help you anymore. And he just left a ton of Cuban exiles just abandoned in Cuba. Um, and it made Castro look like a hero in Cuba. Right. So that's the one that's um, affected us the most. Um, and then the U.S. embargo, too. Um, President Eisenhower was the one who started the embargo or started making it more difficult to have a better relationship between U.S. and Cuba. Um, President Obama, he lifted the embargo, but then... Mm -hmm. Right as soon as he was about to leave, he said, I'm going to take away this immigration law that benefited um, Cuban-Americans trying to come over here. Um, and a lot of people don't know that piece. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill Clinton put in wet foot, dry lands. And mm -hmm. that's basically like as soon as you get here, you're you're basically protected. They can't send you back. Right. Um, Obama took that away. So basically he said, here, I'm going to make things easier um, on U.S. and Cuba, but you can't come over here. Right. He essentially made it easier for us to go there, yeah. but not vice versa. Exactly. So ridiculous. Yeah. And that got worse during the Trump administration, right? Yes, because he re he reimposed some sanctions. 
Right. I actually remember being in Cuba. I was in Cuba leaving the day of inauguration. And the group of people that I was with, we literally were in the airport like, we don't even know if they're going to let us back into America. Cause, because he was saying so many outlandish things, we were like, they're, they're not going to let us back in. Um, but I... I was hopeful that the when the Biden administration came in, that maybe we see some some change in what Obama did do and didn't do that the Biden administration could kind of further. But we're not really seeing that. We're still seeing the Biden administration making statements, and not even and the statements don't even you know give credence to what actually is going on and what what we could do to assist. But as a, a Cuban American yourself, what what is your perspective and, and how do you feel about how the Biden administration is handling the situation now? Um, I'm actually very disappointed. Um, I mean, I don't have very much political, like a political agenda. But mm-hmm. I expect whoever's president to try and help us as much as they can. And when, you know, we're the greatest superpower in the world and they're just like, oh, okay, we're just, we're, we're supporting you guys. We, we're glad that you're taking a stance, but we're not going to do enough to help you. It disappoints me, especially right. when it's been 62 years and every single time they're begging America to help there on Sunday, I saw a picture. They were putting the American flag. They were waving the American flag. They were saying, we want freedom. They're basically begging America to help and they want it because at this point, it's either the Cuban government's going to kill everyone or they're going to have to make change themselves. Right. America to just be like, oh, we want it. Like, yeah, we're supporting you. It's not enough. And at least for me, I've been taking to social media to spam the president. Every time he posts something on Twitter, I'm like, that's great, but what are you gonna do about Cuba? That's right. I literally spammed him on Instagram. He posted something and I literally put SOS Cuba until Instagram was like, that's enough, can't stop. You you like you you can't keep commenting on his post. Um and I've literally sent a message to the White House online. I went on like the contact area and I was like, listen. This government is killing its people and they're literally begging for help. You know, the least you can do is try to get, if you can't do anything, try to get another country. Right. America, you can literally impact everyone. You're the United States, you're the land of opportunity. Well, we're Um, supposed to be, but it doesn't seem that we're living up to that. Uh, right now, which is, I think, one of the greatest misconceptions of America. What What are some misconceptions that you've seen or heard when it comes to uh, the U.S. government and like what's on social media? What are some some incorrect things that you've seen um, that you could maybe uh, help folks out with now? The one that I've seen the most is that the U.S. embargo is to blame on what's going on in Cuba right now. But reality, mm-hmm. it's, it's the communist regime. They see Cuba as, oh, this is great, free healthcare, free education. You know, you guys experiment a lot. You guys have the greatest scientists and the greatest medicine in the world, when in reality, that's not what's happening. Yeah, free education, but they don't let you learn what you want to learn. Yeah, right. Healthcare, but you have to bribe a doctor to get you help. Right. And I uh, remember when I went to Cuba and I didn't know this before I went, uh, I got in the taxi and was headed somewhere and I was just having conversations with uh, the driver and he mentioned he had like he was a doctor. He had a full education, but the pay for doctors was not what it needed to be. And even the education that you get, like if he were to come to the way he explained it to me, if he were to come to the United States, basically his degree wouldn't be recognized and he would have to start from scratch, which I just think is asinine to say the least. Um, so that's, thank you for clearing that up. Uh, that's absolutely ridiculous. Here in Miami, yes, that's exactly what happens. There's a lot of the nurses here in Miami, they're actually doctors in Cuba, but when they get here, they're not doctors. And over there, yeah, you're a doctor, you don't make much money. So they send you to different countries. My mom has a friend who's in Ghana right now doing missions because they make more money. 
but they're oh, wow. basically being separated from their family to make more money. And then when they come back, let's say they have that money and they want to, you know, spend it or they want to bring back presents, the government takes it away from them. Because you have to declare that, right? When you re-enter the country. Yep. Oh, my goodness. I uh, really hate to hear all of this. I I hate to hear even your personal experiences with, uh, I'm, I'm going to call it the conflict between U.S. and Cuba or just in Cuba in general. Um, thank you so much for coming, Ashley. Thank you for sharing. Please, uh, if you are willing and, and able to, feel free to come back and we can talk about this some more as the situation continues to unfold. But uh, thank you so much for all of the amazing information that you provided today. Uh, if you could just let the people know how to get in touch with you, even though you say you're not an activist and you don't have a political bone, I think spamming the president can, that can classify you as a bit of an <laughs> activist. You sound a little bit like me. I've been trolling him as well for different things. So why don't you tell the people how they can get in touch with you? Um, so I do have social media. I have my Instagram. It's Ashley X Gons. And then I also have a Twitter, Ashley X Gonza. Um, I'm usually just putting stories up, seeing, uh, telling people how they can get aid to Cuba. Um, I'm also encouraging people to spam the president. Um, I also post my stories up there, my own political, I mean, not my own political opinion, but my own opinion on Cuba and how to help people. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, thank you so much. And I am going to make sure I start spamming him as well and putting SOS Cuba until they block me as well. So thank you so much, Ashley. Uh, you want to keep it locked here for more Tiffany Talks. If you uh, want to hear any more of the show, be sure to check out the podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. I'll be right back. We're taking a quick break. More Tiffany Talks after these messages. Welcome back to Tiffany Talks. If you've missed any of the show, you want to be sure to check out the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you are already listening to this podcast, but you haven't subscribed yet, then go subscribe. What are you doing? Go ahead and hit, hit the subscribe, follow, whatever button is in the app that you're listening to. Go ahead and go hit that. I appreciate you for listening. Um, you don't like you want to catch the rest of the show i promise uh in the last segment we were talking about i, I was talking to ashley about what's going on between cuba and america and what's going on in cuba um so you definitely want to check out that conversation if you missed any portions of that but what i did not get to do uh, was read the statement that the white house released when they met with cuban uh, leader cuban american leaders yesterday it's very quick Today, Senior Advisor and Director of the White House Office of Public Engagement, Cedric Richmond, and Senior Director for the Western Hemisphere for the National Security Council, Juan Gonzalez, met with Cuban-American leaders to listen to their policy recommendations and concerns in light of the recent unprecedented demonstrations unfolding across Cuba. Um, administration officials underscored that the White House is monitoring the situation in Cuba closely and that addressing the moment and ongoing situation in Cuba is a top priority for the administration. They also affirmed what the president said last week, that the demonstrations are the direct result of a failed communist government and reminded the leaders that the president stands firmly with the people of Cuba. Stakeholders shared what they've done over the last week to help elevate the voices of demonstrators in Cuba and provided their recommendations for how the U.S. government can help. Today's was the latest event in ongoing work the White House has done to reach Cuban-American leaders following the historic demonstrations. Again, that was yesterday uh, on the 19th. If you ever want to uh, read any statements or releases or anything else from the White House, of course, you can go to whitehouse.gov. That's where that statement is. Uh, but here's what I want to say about that. Don't just listen, do. Actually do something to help the people of, of Cuba. Um, listening is great. Thank you for listening. Do something about it. Uh, and, and that's all I'm going to say on that. Um, so uh, also last week, Olivia Rodrigo uh, visited the White House to encourage youth to get the COVID vaccine. Uh, Olivia is a pop star. She went last Wednesday and met with uh, Chief COVID Advisor, Dr. Fauci and President Biden. 
to record some videos to encourage young people to get the coronavirus vaccine. Now listen y'all, this Delta variant, these Delta variants are on the rise. Y'all wear your mask, wear, wear, wear your mask, okay? Go get the vaccine if you have not. Um, she says she was honored to help spread the message on youth vaccinations importance um, and offer, also offered to help the Biden administration in any other ways that she can. Uh, kids around her age will listen to her is what Jen Spat, but Jen Spat, y'all know who I'm talking about, say it. Um, the videos will be featured on her social media as well as the social media of the White House. Uh, one of the, uh, one of the captions said, I know this young person would have gotten vaccinated, but we've got to get other young people pr protected as well. Who's willing to help? Um, so According to CDC data, 33.5% of 12 to 15 year olds have received at least one dose of the vaccine and 24.9% are fully vaccinated. That's not enough, y'all. 45.5% uh, 40, of 16 and 17 year olds have received at least one dose. 37.1% are fully vaccinated. 50.5% ages 18 to 24 have gotten one dose. 41.6 are fully vaccinated. Each group is way behind the national average of 48.1% fully vaccinated people, which still isn't enough. Did y'all hear me say the variants on the rise? Tell your auntie, tell your cousin, tell your uncle, tell your mama, tell your grandmama, tell your grandfather, tell your cousin Nim, tell Ray Ray Nim, tell, tell everybody, but just go get the vaccine. It will at least help us. Y'all, I'm not trying to be stuck in the house for another year because of these variants. Please go get vaccinated. Like, wear your mask, go get vaccinated. Be safe, please, literally, be safe. Um, in other news, Governor Whit Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan has signed legislation to regulate uh, Delta 8 THC. Delta HTHC is a substance that's sold untested and unregulated in convenience stores, gas stations, and tobacco and smoke shops statewide. It is legal, y'all. It is legal. So, of course, many states, THC Delta 9 is illegal. You can't buy it. You can't, like, no. You can't, you can't, that's a no. Hemp is legal. Delta 8 is also legal, but Delta 8 is largely unregulated. So there's a lot of concerns with, because it's unregulated, that it doesn't really have any standards that packaging or products have to meet in order for it to be safe for consumer use. So House Bill 4745 will allow telemedicine for Michigan residents participating in the Me Michigan Medical Marijuana Program. Uh, she also wanted to update the definition of products made from cannabis, making it so that all substances will be tested through the Marijuana Regulatory Agency's statewide monitoring program and tracked through the state's seed-to-sell tracking system. Uh, her quote, Michigan is the model for the nation in regard to protecting residents and making sure that those who consume marijuana products do so in a safe manner uh, sh uh I, I, you know I, I don't I don't have a problem with this I just have a problem when states and regulators just flat out ban things like again y'all know my stance don't ban it it hadn't killed anybody marijuana that is Regulate it like you do alcohol if you need to. Alcohol has killed far more people than marijuana has. So let's just regulate it, legalize it, and move on. I don't, like, come on, y'all. Uh, also, Boston has overhauled its admissions to exclusive exam schools. The Boston School Committee unanimously voted to overhaul admissions to selective exam schools to open up more opportunities and representation of Black and Latino students. Uh, the selective schools are Boston Latin School, Boston Latin Academy, and O'Brien School of Math and Science. What's been in place is known to favor white and Asian students who are admitted at higher rates while Black and Latino students are uh, are pass, passed on. Uh, school districts like New York City and Fairfax County, Virginia, which I've heard great things about, have also pushed to get rid of academic entrance exams to their elite schools. In New York, there were accusations made of discrimination against low-income Asian-American, Black, and Latino children. In Fairfax, they are facing uh, lawsuits from families, majority of them being Asian-American, over their admissions test. Um, Y'all already know how I feel about edu education in general. 
Bureau, which Texas Senate has voted to end a requirement. I'm switching subjects. Texas Senate voted to end a requirement for schools to teach that white supremacy is bad or to teach about civil rights leaders such as Martin Luther King Jr. or uh, Rosa Parks or anybody else. I'm gonna just read a statement from Senate President, Lieutenant Governor of Texas. Senate Bill 3 will make certain that critical race philosophies, including the debunked 1619 founding myth, are removed from our school curriculum statewide. What? Y'all sound ridiculous. Like, ridiculous. The state Republicans are essentially talking about um, you cannot teach social studies or histories with a lean towards one side or the other. Well, by removing this, that's exactly what you're doing. White supremacy is bad. Civil rights leaders and civil rights history does need to be taught. They also want to remove the teaching of achievements of Cesar Chavez, Susan B. Anthony. Like, what's wrong with y'all? Seriously. And who said that 1619 was debunked? And of course they're talking about getting rid of critical race theory and all of that. Like y'all are just, earlier in the show, we were talking about voting rights and Biden said that, you know, it's not just an attack on black and minority, but it's attack on people who they feel aren't voting for them. We're talking them being the Republicans. Sure, that's it. But, and also let's acknowledge the racism for what it is, racist. It's just racist. Like y'all are literally trying to erase the the fact that y'all are garbage. Y'all are trash. You've been trash for generations. Just admit it. Like, education is just so critical and important. That's all I got to say. That's gonna do it for me today before I go off about anything else. Uh, Y'all seriously, as always, be safe be blessed and let God be God today. Emphasis on be safe and let God be God today. Um, yeah. Don't forget to check out the podcast, follow and subscribe. That's going to do it for me. Y'all be safe out there. Peace. Follow Tiffany Linnell on social media at Tiff Linnell on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. The Tiffany Talks Podcast, powered by Boss FM.